0: November 7th, 2020. you got to stop writing your dates backwards. It really stresses me out, man. Um, you, you got to get the Pet Shop Boys at the music intro. Pet Shop for this, Boys, for, for, yeah, that would be nice. That was, wasn't I, that one I, of those songs, In Suburbia? Yeah, In Suburbia. Yeah. Do, do,
1: do, 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 do. Okay, welcome everyone. This is Tokyo Jazz Joints, episode 19, which we are calling In Suburbia. That is not a reference to the Pet Shop Boys, um, as big a fan as James is. Uh, it's actually a reference to where we're going to be going uh, on today's journey. So, James, how are things In Suburbia?
0: Well, I was going to mention I had a couple stories about some West End girls, but um, maybe we'll leave that for our Outtakes podcast. Different era. Different era. Yeah, showing the age there. Um, Things are fantastic. Uh, Really damn hot and humid, although that seems to be the theme of the last six or seven of our podcast episodes. But um, yeah, hot and humid. That's really about all I can say. But I have a really delicious Moscow Mule right next to me, which um, is in a full glass. So I'll be... Very satiated for the recording um, speaking that of might suburbia, uh, might ha- um, might help the um might help the small talk <laughs> i've heard I've heard it can move on from the weather. a couple more <laughs> Moscow meals. yes, uh, well, no it, we want to keep things very steady because we are going to the suburbs, although we should mention. For people who are not familiar with the Tokyo Metro area, um, the suburban outerlying rings—I think we have gone into this quite a bit on some other episodes—but they go very, very far out. So when we talk about the the next four places, a couple of these are more than sixty or seventy kilometers outside the center of Tokyo. So, but still considered sub- suburbs, I think of the Kanto region. Yeah, um, I don't
1: think I think it'd be fair to say that they're not. Perhaps the same thing that you're imagining, if you think maybe of the suburbs in in the u k or Ireland or in America, they're a kind of a a beast very much of their own, wouldn't you say
0: yeah i mean and and the thing i mean the first thing to to remember for our, for our listeners who have not been to Tokyo is that all of these places are accessible by train, um sometimes multiple train lines, so it's not like the people who live out there are commuting by car to their offices, maybe more in the central part of town. Um, everybody is riding the famous, you know, crowded commuter train. So when we were going around, now we did go to a few places. We mentioned we had to take the car, like, uh, to the antique shop, Miles, which was which was in the middle of nowhere. But uh, the four joints that we, we saw, uh, that we're going to talk about here, we all... You know, all of them accessible by train. I mean, the, the, the Tokyo commuter trains go so far out into the distant suburbs, almost all the way till they get to the mountains. Um, it's really one of the nicest things about living in this, this part of the country is just that you don't really need to own a car. I've never owned a car um, in all 22 years I've been in Japan. Um, I've never actually even driven while I've been here because the trains are so great. So, you know, when we want to go and visit a place out in Nishitokorozawa. where the hell is that? Oh, it's uh, 50K west of Shinjuku. Oh, great. The Seibu-Ikebukuro line will drop me right there. 45-minute yeah. ride on yeah. the express, on, on a clean, cheap, safe express train. Um, so it, it's actually a big part of this project because, you know, when I started doing um, my website back in 2007, um, I was taking the train everywhere, all around the Kanto region to go to these little random joints. And it just made it so easy. Uh, especially on the way home after you've had a couple of drinks. So
1: uh, well it's funny because um I'm about to just undo that entire homily to trains because obviously as as we mentioned in a previous episode um up at Miles antique shop I did actually have a car uh, more by circumstances uh, than perhaps intention initially but I did end up with this absurd uh sort of saloon car that we did kind of employ a lot more later in the project. And actually, the first place that we're going this week is a place called Powell, which is uh, way out in Saitama Prefecture, about 50 k's north of Tokyo. And I remember that very distinctly, because I think with you living further south, it didn't make sense for us to sort of meet on the way. And with me going in the car and wanting a little bit of flexibility that day in terms of getting around, um, I took the car up uh, and you took the train up and we met at this station called Cookie. And I mean, I, I have this very, very vivid memory of getting there a little too early. I think it opened at 10 o'clock. I was there sort of around 9.30 and it was in a car park with a sort of like a pachinko or casino type building next to it and I remember sitting in the car park on a curb having a coffee from a vending machine waiting for you to turn up and it felt very American strip mall it was a very much that kind of um vibe you know fairly wide streets uh nothing was really open but it just had this very kind of small town America feel to it and uh uh then I think eventually you, you rocked up, um, at obviously, at, at, at
0: a fair pace with the bag swinging, and we headed into Powell. Yeah, it, it, Strip Mall is exactly right. I mean, um, the, if you took away the Chinese characters on the signs of the shops around... Um, this could have been any sort of like outskirt highway road in California or any number yeah. of states in the U.S. I mean, it, it just has that that real that real like impossible to identify what state you're in or even what country if you didn't see the Japanese signs. And, and Powell itself is um, it, it looks just like a neighborhood cafe. You know, the kind that you see anywhere around Japan, except for the name, which is obviously after Bud Powell. And when we walked in, I think there was one or two guys in there having some breakfast coffee. What was this, about 10 in the morning, I think? it was pretty. I remember early. having a breakfast set, I think, uh,
1: which, again, is a very Japanese thing, a morning set. And usually it's, it consists of sometimes salad, uh, quite thick toast, uh, corn soup. And a coffee. And I, I do remember having, I think, toast and butter in there. Um. Does that ring any bells?
0: Well, no. All I remember is when the corn soup came, I I very quickly moved to walk around the joint, (laughs) so I didn't have to sit and look at that at ten o'clock in the morning. Um, Yet, yet another reference to my long-standing rule of not eating jazz cafes. Um, But yeah, this was it was unusual because, like you said, that that morning set is a staple of all the Japanese non-chain cafes, of which there are thousands and thousands all around the country, which date back to even before. World War II, um, the regular Kisaten without the jazz. They all have that morning A set or B set or whatever they call it. Um, But usually the jazz cafes don't open that early. So Powell, operating as a kind of a breakfast coffee joint but also when you go in, you know, they're playing some hardcore records at that time of the morning. That that had to have been the earliest we've ever been inside of, of a jazz joint. Um, and it, it's, it's, it was really homey. I mean, they were really nice. Oh, I think when we told them how far away we came from, they were a bit, obviously like a lot of the owners when we tell our story, a bit surprised and a bit like, you came all the way up here to see my shop, you know? Mm. Uh, mm. But they were happy to let us take the pictures. Um and I think we ended up staying longer than we planned, actually, because he started showing us a couple pictures. Do you remember he had like a, a photo album? Do you remember that? That's right. Yeah, yeah. He was a
1: very, uh, very nice guy. Very. He's not smiling in the pictures, but he he was a really. Um, like enthusiastic guy I think he was pleased that we'd come um, he was wearing that kind of cut off denim jacket it was sort of reminiscent of like a, a kind of a 70s metal band roadie kind of look but <laughs> right. Um, right. definitely not the music uh, definitely different different tastes in music and noticeably uh, I suppose from the photographs as well that he's one of these places that we mentioned before that's gone um, all CD uh, whether that was always the case or whether he transferred all his vinyl onto CD but um, there was much evidence of any records there, but um, a nice place to have a coffee, and like you say very much a neighbourhood joint and I think that's what's amazing, again, and we've mentioned this many, many times, but you know, when you think of suburbia and you think of these kind of places perhaps in the countries that you're listening to, you never would imagine that you would find this kind of place in that sort of area. Uh, You know, it tends to be somewhere you associate with downtown areas or, you know, hipper, funkier neighbourhoods, but the amazing thing about this jazz culture in Japan is that, however, sort of anodyne and and generic the town is? There's always a possibility of uh, an incredible record shop or uh, some amazing, you know, jazz cafe or music bar, and and it's endlessly sort of surprising and and shocking when you find them.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, think about you know some of the most memorable and cool spots that that we've talked about and some others that we're going to talk about were nowhere near central Tokyo. You know, think about Candy and Chiba run by Hashi-san um, or Garo, which we yeah. already spoke about, uh, or even Ragtime where I used to go when I was a student. You know, all these places are miles and miles outside of the center of, the, of, of Tokyo. And, you know, uh, for people who are, especially from the U.S., I mean, I grew up in New York City, which is obviously a very different environment, but my first experience of, of, of the real suburban America. when I went to stay with my sister one summer. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. There was nothing around. It was only chain shops. And there was one cool independent bookstore where they would play music and sometimes they'd have some live gigs. And that was pretty much the only place you could go to hang out with, with any remote culture whatsoever. And it was just this like cultural wasteland. But in Japan, it looks like that. And yet, in all of these nondescript suburbs, you're going to find a jazz cafe or maybe a couple of them. You'll definitely find a, a few hip music bars at night. Um, the first place that I lived uh, when I first came here, which was in Saitama Prefecture... Um, had a little bar called the Pit Inn, no relation to the famous Shinjuku Pit and Jazz Club. It was just a little bar called the Pit Inn. Uh, And I happened to see through the window that they had, you know, a lot of vinyl. And I walked in and the guy had probably 2,000 records. I mean, this place was in the middle of nowhere. I don't know really any other countries where you could find that amount of, like, really cool jazz joints or even non-jazz music bars. It's it's quite remarkable. And, um, you know, I, I don't imagine any of our listeners will ever find themselves at Kuki Station in northern <laughs> Saitama. <laughs> uh, but if you did, you know you've got a jazz joint. All the mm. breaking news, breaking news. Uh-oh. I I called Pal uh, before we recorded to, to make sure they were open. And uh, they not only are they still open, but the lady on the phone said, "Oh, uh, is this the guy from Ireland calling who came to take oh, photos yes. two years ago? So you must have made quite the impression I them. made the impression clearly. I think that you ate the corn pottage soup was was just quite. That the, could uh, be it. It's you know, I was the only feat. person who's ever
1: eaten two bowls of uh, the
0: corn soup but the opening hours have changed uh they're now only open from 2 to 5 p.m i didn't want to push it on the phone because she said oh are you coming by again soon and i said uh yeah i'm coming next mm, month sometime maybe yeah so no more morning yeah. hours i'm not sure if that's a if that's in reaction to um you know the current uh virus situation or not but but i'll keep i'll keep an eye on it anyway good to know that they're still open
1: Well, before we move on to our next place this week, um, I think probably one of the burning questions that still remains about Powell is uh, when you look at the photograph of the exterior, what do you imagine goes on in nasty studio next door?
0: Um, You know, I forgot about that photograph. And was it deliberate that you cut it off so it (sighs) remains a mystery for all Uh, of our... Let's say yes. Okay. well, um, as we may have mentioned, this is in Saitama Prefecture, so that may give you an idea. Fair enough. Very cryptic. Okay, so let's move on. And we're going to go to back, I suppose, back in towards
1: Tokyo. I think it's out the west side of Tokyo, if I'm not wrong, but um, a place called Sagamihara um, and a place uh, that we visited pretty close, I think, to me leaving Japan back in 2017, um, which was called Monk's. Um, And what can we say about monks? I mean, my impression certainly was it was, again, a neighbourhood bar. Uh, it, It kind of advertised itself as a dining bar and there was food and so on available. Um, but very nicely um, laid out place, very well appointed, a uh, lot of drinks. And, and from one of the photos that you can see in particular, uh, it's got one of the most well-stocked bars you're likely to see. I mean, just an astonishing collection that he had of whiskeys uh, along the counter
0: behind him. Um, what, what, did, what did you think of Monks? I, I really liked it. I, I had to admit, I, you know, I had to go back and see the pictures and, and my notes because um, it wasn't the kind of place that that made the impression that would stick with you for a long time. And yet, once I looked at the pictures again, I remembered why I liked it is because it was well, not only that beautiful amount of <laughs> of inventory, um, including some really good European beers, which you don't often see in the jazz bars. I mean, he had a bunch of Czech and German beers, which was very, very exciting for me. Um, but it's the kind of place that, you know, what well, we should mention, Sagami Hara, it is quite far. It's 60 kilometers southwest of Tokyo. So it is okay. definitely a commuter city, um, pretty nondescript place on its own but you would imagine that if you lived in that town I mean if I lived in that town monks would be a place I'd go in twice a week easily because it's dark it's cozy he's got the great selection of music the great selection of alcohol it's quite clean and sleek and and what's really interesting was my thought and when I saw my notes that I'd written down I put great place to drink by yourself and um before the show today, when I was doing some of our pre-work, I looked up and I found some of the Japanese uh, comments from customers online. And three or four of them said the exact same thing, like, "Oh, I love to stop here by myself on the way home for a drink. It's the perfect mm. spot, you know, to kind of chill out in. So, um yeah, definitely just a just a real, you know, uh, a real comfortable, beautiful, nice jazz bar for a couple of drinks, nothing that you would write home about, but definitely one that you'd be a regular at if it was in your own neighborhood.
1: I mean, it says it was established in 1988, and I think I mentioned this with Prez when we talked about Prez and Shibuya. Again, I think that date really sort of establishes the style, doesn't it? It's got very much that jazz bar and inverted commas kind of feel to it, you know, quite Mm. slick, um, you know, uh, all laid out in kind of uh, wooden um, interior. It's got the bar stools, and it does have a very Uh, Kind of an 80s feel to it, I suppose, but um, not in a kind of a a retro sort of tacky way, but just, you know, it it feels about that age. But like you say, really nice place to stop for a drink. Uh, Again, not necessarily somewhere if you are on the Jazz Joints Trail yourself when you're visiting Japan, not necessarily somewhere that you'd... Go out of your way to go visit, but certainly if you were ever nearby, uh, worth dropping in and um, checking out for sure.
0: Definitely one of the top uh, ten Tokyo jazz joint bathroom experiences, though. And you did get you did get a great photo of it. I mean, you can see the Miles and Monk album behind a whole bunch of flowers. Uh, you got you got one of my favorite records ever up on the wall, Brilliant Corners by Thelonious Monk, uh, mm-hmm. which is actually a pretty hardcore record when you think about it for a bar like this to be playing. So, you know, no doubts about the music uh, when you're in this joint. And I, th- I think at last count, this is the eighth or ninth uh, Monk's or Monk or Monk variation uh, for a jazz joint name that I have heard of in Japan, and I think there must be a few more. We've already mentioned the amount of places that are called Miles or some variation of Miles Davis. Um, Monk seems to be another one for for the guys of that generation. Um, Most famously in uh, Shikoku, there's a great famous jazz live club called Monks that a lot of visiting musicians play at, so um, try not to confuse them. (laughs) When you're listing up your places to visit on your Japan jazz tour,
1: I think for me, that photograph in the bathroom, is it, it sums up my eye when I'm photographing, because it, it has the Miles and Monk, obviously, which is the focus, but the artificial flowers on top of the toilet cistern, and then more importantly, perhaps the blue plastic bottle of bleach um, in that photograph is very much intentional. And when I look at that photograph with a bit more objectivity, it, its it, I think it sort of sums up the things that usually... Um, that usually catch my eye when I'm taking these photographs or when I'm framing these photographs. And uh, yeah, another of many, uh, many bathroom photographs that are on my phone. All I should mention related to this jazz bar project and uh, not no, just a weird no fetish.
0: Complaint, no complaint at all about the bleach being in there and and wish that many of the jazz bathrooms I visited did have a bottle <laughs> bleach, but we'll just leave, leave it at that. Um, <laughs> and okay, so let's go from Southwest. We are going uh, directly West. Of the center of Tokyo, out to a place called Nishi Tokorozawa. What do you remember about SWAN? Philip, so SWAN is one of my favorite joints, I have to say.
1: <laughs> yeah, SWAN, to me, I, again, I think with me, the, the place we're going to go next as well, I kind of tend to, for some reason, connect them in my head. I'm not really sure why, but SWAN um, is... One of those places I think that fits for me into that category of places like Samurai, um, I'm thinking of the the uh, jab that we'll cover in our Kyushu episodes. There's a certain aesthetic, there's a certain feeling or age to it that just for me, like if I had to pick a handful of what I would consider to be the classic jazz joints from this project, Swan would definitely, uh, would definitely make the cut. Uh, there's just something about like the you can see from the photographs if you're looking at the site, uh, TokyoJazzJoints.com. You know the the Swan logo across the back uh, in front of this kind of brown velvet curtain where the the drum kit is set up. Um, even the owner and this sort of. Uh, quite dramatic black and white checked uh, cardigan that he's wearing. And then just a lot of the memorabilia that's hanging about. I mean, there's one particularly with the the Noren that says jazz on it. And then there's the saxophone, which in, in many ways puts me in mind of that particular photograph from Samurai with the uh, Coltrane playing the sax and all the cats in the background. And I just think uh, it was one of those places that I wish perhaps that I'd been able to go to more than once. Um, and spend a little bit more time in, I think, just a gorgeous, gorgeous place that for me is just one of the quintessential uh, places or certainly has that quintessential look of Tokyo Jazz joins project.
0: Uh, 100% agree, man. 100% agree. And, you know, it's, it's amazing because it opened so long ago. Right. It opened in sixty-five. Um, the current location was from the eighties and I think nineteen eighty-five exactly. Um, and the owner, Stolson, as you can see, he's not that old. Uh he took it over probably a little bit less than twenty years ago now. Um, was very friendly when we were chatting with him. We you know, we explained what the project was. He was very excited about it. Um, I don't know if you remember, Phil, maybe you were already walking around taking pics, but but the old guy at the at the counter when he heard that we came, um, not just from Tokyo, but I came up from Yokohama, he was so impressed that he insisted on buying me a beer, uh, which, yeah. which is, you know, something that's happened quite a few times and always gladly, happily accepted. Um, but they were, uh, they were quite. Quite impressed with our dedication to, to find Swan because it's not an easy place to get to. I mean, as we mentioned, Nishi is very far west, um, and it's not the main station. It's sort of the the next station after the main big uh, commuter station of Tokorozawa, uh, so it's quite a little sleepy area. About five I think six as minutes well- walk.
1: I think it was an evening, too, and I'm fairly sure it was a work evening. I remember being was, there quite yes. late and driving home, and it took like a good sort of hour, hour and a half to get home. Yeah, um, yeah, that's you know. right. It
0: was it was a weeknight, and, um, and and so he was really, really surprised that, that we were able to not just uh, find it, but that we bothered to come uh, to take the pictures. Um, but, yeah, just a, an absolutely lovely place and interesting opening hours, too. Um, he's open in the afternoon, so it functions as your traditional jazz game. Kisaten cafe, but he stays open until two a.m., uh, which is a pretty, it's a pretty punishing shift, isn't it? Eleven hours is is quite a lot, I think, until two a.m., um, even given that he lives pretty much right next door. Still, but well, I think. On- Mm -hmm. It's
1: that thing, isn't it, where where it's kind of an extension, I suppose, of the of the home for a lot of these guys. You know, it's where they house the record collection. And I suppose, okay, that is long hours, of course, by any stretch of the imagination. But again, you know, if you were faced with with sort of uh, being in this place and running a a place like this or, you know, sitting in a kind of potentially quite small pokey apartment nearby, uh, you'd take this place uh, over that any day. You know, of course,
0: not- and, and what's he going to be doing in the in, in the little apartment anyway? He's probably going to be having a whiskey and playing his jazz records, so yeah. might as well do it in the cafe yeah. and, and and get some customers. Um Oh, really wonderful Easter egg as well. If you look at the picture um, of the record album, and you see he's got a couple of uh, coasters from other jazz spots that yeah. we've discussed. Uh, you'll see Doug in there, and you'll see even Jazz on and I was surprised he had that one, you yeah, know, because yeah. that's a, yeah, yeah. that's not a place a lot of people have gone to out in uh, in in uh, obviously the pit in is there um, and then randomly the New York City button I'm not sure what that was about I'll have to maybe I'll have to ask him about that um but despite Swan being very very old uh you know the owner being a bit younger he's got a, a pretty active Twitter and Facebook page so um, if you're at all on the west side of Tokyo which you may be if you're either living here or just on vacation because a lot of people take that train out to get to the mountain Mountains into the hot springs, I would I would one hundred percent recommend you stop by to Swan. I think it's an absolutely magical place. Um, I checked the website as well today, man, and they're still doing live gigs, which is which is interesting. yeah. Well, it's
1: interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose, like you know, as much as I mentioned that it was kind of one of those quintessential places, and I suppose in in many ways, what I often mean by that is you know fairly old, uh, you know bit dusty, a um, bit tattered around the edges, but actually just from looking at the signs again for the benefit of those who don't read Japanese, I mean, the, the portrait of the owner in particular, you'll see around him are, um, he's surrounded by signs um, advertising different types of food and drink and fairly extensive menus, you know, he's doing curry there and, um, you know, full meals that you could eat, even on the, the photograph that you mentioned, James, with the uh, coasters and the record sleeve, you'll see just to the left, there's also a a pretty extensive list of wines available and things. It, it's not just a, a, a sort of a jazz joint with uh, one person sitting at the bar, as per the photograph here, but actually, uh, again, somewhere you could go into uh, and get a fairly hefty meal and um, good selection of drinks too. So he's, I suppose in many ways he's covering uh, all the bases. And, of course, on the sign outside as well, then you have this, um, again, uh, you know, pretty decent list of gigs uh, on both weekends that are advertised here in February. So interesting place, I think.
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, the fact that it's so far out there uh, and yet he still is able to put on enough live gigs means that he's connected to musicians from all around Tokyo. And there's obviously going to be enough fans uh, with the population of these suburban towns In Tokyo, sometimes reaching above a couple hundred thousand. Um, Yeah, you know we know about the love of jazz in Japan, so you're not you're not going to really lack for customers. um, You know, even out there. If you go back to his portrait just for a second, the two things just jumped out at me. One more, (laughs) one more time, looking at it up close. Uh, The first was that my aunt had a sofa that exactly matched his his amazing vest. Okay. (laughs) sorry that just, it's it was right. just like she had that sofa uh, but the other was the uh, the sign to his um, up bar on, on the right side which again lists some drinks Right, so you've got Baileys and milk and then Baileys and coffee and then hot Kahlua milk is that a drink? hot Kahlua milk? is that a white Russian? I don't know what that is Oh, it sounds nauseating, but...
1: I'm not 100% sure. Um, I certainly know I didn't have it that night. I mean, you were the one getting drinks bought for you, so perhaps that
0: was your chance. I just had a beer. I did not have the hot milk Kahlua, or at the bottom of that sign, the very mysterious Hot Cowboy, which I am not certain is a real cocktail.
1: It sounds perhaps like something that you might uh, get in Nasty studio back in um, Saitama. (laughs) Anyway, moving swiftly on... (laughs) We're going to go to the final place this week. And I think, again, this is a place with a bit of a story in in many ways. Um, It has a very interesting story itself. But we actually went twice. Uh, The first time we drove out to it, uh, and I think probably with the information that it was meant to be open, but I know when we arrived, uh, it was definitely closed because I have a clear memory of sitting on the hood of the car, across from Umi, uh, drinking a beer from a convenience store, waiting to see if it was actually going to open or not, and it was kind of based in the in the in the uh, first floor of the house, isn't it? So it was kind of like a case of do we go and ring the doorbell and see if the, if anyone's in? And there was a car, I think, parked as well in the forecourt. So, uh, but I remember definitely we failed the first time and had to go back for a second
0: trip, isn't that right? That is that is right yes and I, I definitely remember the car park. Um, I remember looking at the house thinking that he must be in there but there was no it seemed to be no movement or light or you know or anything so he, maybe he had a day off and went somewhere but but he does live above it uh, but yeah we hung out probably for about an hour. Um, because there was no notice on the website that they would have been closed that day. Yeah. Otherwise, obviously, we wouldn't have driven up there. Uh, so we we should mention, so Umi is located a, a little bit northwest, not quite as far away as Swan, but but still a bit out there um, in a commuter town called Asaka. Uh, uh, again, there's Absolutely no reason to ever head to this place um, unless you were going to go visit Umi. Uh, I mean, the town of Osaka. But it's not the case uh, when the place first opened. Umi is actually, I think, the second oldest. Um, Continue. Well, no, it's the oldest continuous jazz spot in the whole Tokyo metro region because Chigusa and Yokohama moved locations. Remember, yeah. After it closed, Umi has been there since 1952. Um, you Japanese history buffs. Out there, uh, we'll know 1952 as being a very important year because that's the year that Japan regained its independence after being occupied by the Americans after the war. So, um, and Umi has a, a real big connection to that. We went up there and we sat down with the owner, not knowing any of this. All I knew was that the place was very old. It didn't look old when we walked in. Obviously, the house and the shop had been, you know, redesigned and, and repaired over the years. Uh, but Omiya san, the owner, He was incredible. He sat down and talked to us for about an hour and a half. And he told us the whole story of how his father opened this place in 1952 because right next door was one of uh, the largest American army bases in Japan at that time. That's right. So so in that period, Osaka was a huge, thriving market town, as well as having the usual nighttime activities of bars and other places of ill repute, you know? So, um, and Omiya-san, uh, his father, who was a pretty young guy at the time, he loved swing records. So he collected a lot of swing music. He used to get them from from customers, American sold who would bring him records from the base, and he opened this place. Um, and the son now took it over, and he's and he's completely uh, open about sharing the whole history of that time. You remember how many great photographs he showed us? Yeah, it's
1: funny. I'm just flicking through my phone there as you're as you're re- remembering some of those things, and um, I think what was stark, probably from the exterior in particular, was that you know it was hard to imagine this area having ever been a thriving place because, and again, I suppose in in many parts of Japan where a lot of the local economy uh, and trade comes from um, their co- connections and relationships with American military bases. Once those bases disappear, so does a lot of that um, wealth and that a lot of that local economy. And certainly on that strip where Umi is, albeit it's in a fairly new house, um, there's a lot of very run-down uh, shops and houses uh, on that junction. And I, I have quite a few of them I've photographed. And if you're interested in that kind of thing, if you go to my website, philiparneal.com, there's a series of... On there called Tokyo Shirokuro, which just means Tokyo black and white. Uh, and you can see some of those on there. And it, it's quite shocking because it really does look like something from uh, an era gone by. But certainly Umi is, is a bright light in that particular neighborhood. But he also brought out a lot of photo albums. And um, again, I haven't put those on the site, but I certainly will share them on social media. Um, because there's a couple of fantastic photographs, one of which uh, is a photograph of the original uh, sign and shop, Umi. Uh, On top of that, there's a photograph of his father, and you can see the similarities uh, between him and his father. And the photographs dated 17th of November, 1951. Uh, Again, a beautiful um, uh, portrait of his father looking quite stern um, and (laughs) not perhaps somebody that you'd think uh, would be running a jazz bar. And then there's another uh, photograph with um, a lady working behind a counter uh, next to a slightly caricature uh, statue of Louis Armstrong and underneath uh, one of those pennant flags which says Kennedy Space Centre. Um, so I'll post those photographs on social media, keep an eye out for those. But again, uh, it was just beautiful and it's not the first time that this has happened but I'd say it's probably the most extensive um sharing we've had in terms of of you know someone uh, showing us the history and the original um uh, settings and the origins of of the place that they're running, you can see as well in the photographs on the site. Uh, there's a beautiful portrait uh, of his father standing in the doorway of the original uh, Umi as well, which again just is, is is a gorgeous photograph. And I was lucky uh, enough that he allowed us to to set out the album that way and photograph it. But uh, it was really well, a I think fascinating I think he, place.
0: he's um, I, I actually went back to Umi um, about two years ago. Uh, when I was up in that part of town and uh, he remembered me, I was with a Japanese person and uh, I sat down and, and he started talking to us again and I said, oh, do you remember when I was here and we were taking pictures? You told me a lot about the history. He's like, oh, yeah, I love to talk about that stuff. And, you know, he he's actually, um, you know, we've mentioned again and again how we worry a lot about how these old joints, you know, um, they don't have anyone to take them over. Maybe their kids have gone on to different careers or they're not jazz fans or they want to do something to make money. Uh, but this guy, uh, Omiya san, was very much like, I, I want to continue this. Uh, he had had a job out of college and was doing other things, but, but realized that, you know, he had something special here and he really revered his father and took it over and I think it really showed the fact that you mentioned yeah he, he put the album out for us to look at and take pictures of um, and we should mention in the background I mean the, the unbelievable sound system that he has now he yeah. went on quite a bit about that as well and our regular listeners will know that neither of us are audiophiles so sometimes that stuff in Japanese can go a little bit over our heads um, but um, if you are uh, listening to this and are interested in the audio parts you know you can see some of the pictures there and so he's got more pictures Um, of the system on the UMI homepage uh, which, uh, how would you describe the, the, the website for the Umi 1985 Apple II Plus or original IBM PC? Um, <laughs> I'm showing my age by remembering that, but even someone as IT uh, useless as I am could probably make a, a more visually appealing website. It's it's absolutely remarkable. Um, look it up online, jazz-umi, hyphen if you Google that in Saitama, you'll find it. Uh, I mean, I I think for me what
1: stood out as well was that beautiful um, wall of record sleeves too. I mean, it's just a fantastic... Uh, thing to look at uh, how often he replaces them and changes them up. I don't know, but just to have that whole back wall covered with all those incredible uh, original album covers is is just oh beautiful. yeah,
0: and they're all they're all originals. I mean, you know, they. I, I specifically asked him about that, and 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 he was like, oh yeah, of course, these are all originals from either his father's collection uh, or his collection when he started, you know, buying records in the nineteen seventies and and eighties. Um, it's not in the. It's obviously not up on the wall, but. Um, um, he also mentioned that they've got some some very rare 78s. That he claims he has a couple copies that are really the only ones left. Mm. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, as we've discussed ad nauseum, you know, the owners of these places are very proud of their collections, and they're pretty clued into what is and is not available. Um, they spend a lot of time, obviously, over their lives buying this stuff, and and you know, so I would take them take him at his word. Um, but if you're at all interested in in not just uh, not just going to a cool jazz cafe, but but the history of these places and any Japanese history at all. Try to take a visit up there. Um, if you can't speak the language, you know, try to bring a Japanese friend because you know um, you could spend two three hours just hanging out in Umi. And you know, he still got live gigs as well. Like, I couldn't believe it. You know, all the way up there in Saitama, he's still got live shows on the
1: weekend. Yeah, it's an amazing place. Uh, we were very lucky to get back into it um, the second time. I'm just having a quick look at the website. I see what you mean. It looks like someone's created like a sort of a. a like a Pinterest board, but blindfolded. (laughs) They've just stuck a load of stuff up and then taken the blindfold off to see what's being created. But um, again, with someone like that, you know, and and somewhere like that, I think um, I noticed a little Stars and Stripes has made the cut there as one of the images, but it's just like they don't really need it. You know, the place is so steeped in, in history and legend and you know, there's so many people in Japan uh, alone that love these places and want to kind of support these places. And particularly, I suppose, in an area or certainly a region like that, you know, there would be a lot of people. He talked about traveling, uh, you know, fairly, fairly extensive distances to get to Umi. And so, you know, I think in many cases, you know, the website is is the last um, the last of his concerns, but certainly it's worth just having a look at. I noticed just from the top page, there only really seems to be one page. Oh, no, there's a couple more.
0: Well, if you know, you mentioned the little American flag that's there for a reason. Um, it's because his dad uh, took a trip to the United States in 2004. When he was 76 years old. Wow. Um, so uh, he, I don't know if you remember that. You might have been taking pictures at the time. But he went on a long riff about his father's relationship to American people, to the music, and to America itself. And it was really interesting because, you, have, you know, you'd have to remember that he he would have grown up uh, during the war uh, and then afterwards when it was occupied. But but he was obsessed with the music and he, and, he, and he basically hung out with American soldiers in that area of Osaka next to the base for years. Mm. And then finally was able to make the trip as an older man. Um and was so proud of it, you know. So he's got these pictures of him there. <laughs> he's got a great picture, you know, in New Orleans. Um he says that he brought back like over a hundred movie DVDs, things that weren't available in Japan, uh, picture of him with a hot dog. I mean, just it's just great stuff, you know, and it and it was really, really sweet to see this kind of memorial. Uh, that the son made to his father finally getting to take that trip to the United States, even as an old man, you know, um, and it shows the depth of love that that these people have for the music, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they
1: absolutely.
0: they love the music so much more um, than really it's it. Even we can explain through the podcast from all the places that we've been visiting, you know. They've made their lives out of it. You've you've said a few times that it's almost a religious type of relationship, and and I think that that's pretty accurate. And I think as well, you know,
1: um, I suppose Umi is one of those places, particularly from the photographs and things that that really speaks to a, a bygone era in terms of you know Japan and America relations, uh, especially. I suppose the Yokosuka and the places that we discussed in Yokosuka is probably the closest. Uh, example of something like that uh, that still exists in Japan today. And if you go to the website or, you, you know, have a look at the ones that I'll post on social media, you'll see, you know, that it's not uncommon to um, have the owner or a couple of Japanese um, people that are involved with the place and then the rest of the photograph full of Americans. Um, and it's, it, it, it you know, I suppose... To people growing up in that area and somewhere like Umi, it's it was kind of completely normal because that's what the surrounding area was. But if you'd gone to other areas in Japan, it would have just seemed so foreign and so alien to, to be surrounded by Americans and to be growing up in that kind of environment like that he grew up in, uh, the current owner. So it's a fascinating sort of historical um, take as well on just Japan's sort of complicated relationship with America, I suppose. Oh,
0: for for sure, for sure, because there's so much, I mean, obviously outside the bounds of things that we go into on our podcast, you know, for the most part. But, Philip, you remember Joe Fuson from Marshmallow in Chinatown in Yokohama? So he was born in 46, the year after the war ended, and, and he said growing up, Um, Right where his jazz cafe now is in Chinatown, you know, not a Friday or Saturday night would go by without either a a soldier, an American soldier, a sailor or a local Japanese gangster uh, being beaten or stabbed to death. So it was a very vibrant and lively time, to put it that way, um, and a very completely different country to what we know living in Japan today. Yeah. Uh, so and jazz and these jazz Kisaten and Jazz bars, they were the background to all of this. So getting the chance to go to Umi to kind of hear some of that history firsthand, I I mean I thought it was so, so special. And um, you know, I definitely recommend that that if you're visiting uh Tokyo, it's well worth the afternoon to head up there. Absolutely. Well, look, James, we've probably come
1: to the end of the road for this week's episode. There's a few things just maybe um, in terms of housekeeping, it's worth um, just giving a few shout outs to people that have been really supportive of the podcast uh, since it's begun. And also just going back to your comments there about the audio. I know one or two of you have asked us, are we doing episodes um, around the audio equipment. So if you are listening and you, you have a particular interest in the audio equipment and that's uh, hi-fi side of the jazz Kisa culture, please get in touch with us. We'd love to uh, have you or a couple of people on the podcast. Just on that note as well, probably worth just giving a shout out to Surge in South Africa. Uh, I noticed from our listening statistics that in intense Place we've got South Africa down there as well. So great to know that people are listening to us there. Uh, and also to Tracy and London, who I know uh, from my time in Japan, and she's been a massive supporter of the podcast uh, since the first episode and shared it with a lot of people, too. So we really appreciate that as well. Also, probably just to Jazz Coulter uh, in Munich, uh, they were really supportive of the project. They put on a fab exhibition uh, in January in Munich, and they've been in touch recently about the possibility of uh, revisiting an exhibition in October if uh, things go well in terms of the global health situation. Um, They are great to work with. They love the project. And we're hopefully going to be able to exhibit some of the work on a bigger scale in Munich uh, in October this year. So big shout out to uh, them, Simon and Christiana in particular. James, uh, have you got anything that you'd like to hawk this week?
0: As usual, head to Mixcloud.com and look up KOL Radio. We've got a bunch of really good new mixes up there, including one from my buddy from New York, Chill Will, who's given us some very hardcore, 100% New York City hip-hop. For your listening pleasure, and um, yeah, that's about it, really. I've been a little bit lazy the last week or so. It's just too damn hot here, So, um, but there'll be more music coming soon, so keep a lookout for my own personal Twitter and Instagram, Mister okay Tokyo. Well, that's I think it.
1: we've come full circle because we're talking about the weather again, so that's probably a good point to end. Listen, you take care of yourself. Um, I, I'm not sure what the weather's like in Japan, but I imagine it's probably quite hot, is it? Um, <laughs> so take care. <laughs> Until next week, you look after yourself
0: and yours, and I'll talk to you soon. Stay safe, buddy. Time for me to pour another drink. <laughs> Bye-bye. Easy. Easy. <laughs>